Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. January 1856, Salt Lake City, Utah. 23-year-old Mariner Wood Merrill was hauling logs out of North Mill Creek Canyon there in Salt Lake. The logs were going to be used to make houses. Now, 1856 was a very cold, exceptionally cold winter. The temperature at times was between minus 20 and minus 30 degrees Fahrenheit. On one of those very cold days, Mariner was up in the canyon alone. He had cut the five logs he needed for house building, placed them side by side in preparation for loading on his bobsleigh. He got the first log on the sleigh and turned around to load the others. He then describes what happened next. Quote, the one I had on the sled slipped off like it was shot out of a gun and struck me in the hollow of the legs and threw me forward on my face across the four logs lying on the ground or ice. In falling, my handspike, which I'd used in loading the first log, slipped out of my hand and out of my reach. And thus, he said, I found myself with my body lying face downwards across the four logs and the fifth log lying across my legs, and I was pinned to the ground with a heavy red pine log 10 inches through at the large end and 22 feet long lying across my legs. And there was no visible means to extricate myself, and there was no one at hand to help, as no one but myself was in the canyon that day. And then Mariner said, I made up my mind that I must freeze and die all alone in the mountains of Utah. Then he continued, Many serious thoughts passed through my mind, as you may imagine. In falling on the logs, my breast and stomach were hurt, and it was difficult for me to breathe. I did not conceive what to do under the trying ordeal, but concluded to ask the Lord to help me which I did in earnest prayer. After calling upon the Lord for some time, I began to make an effort to extricate myself, but all in vain, as I could not move the log that was lying on me. I, however, continued my efforts until I was exhausted and lost all recollection of my situation. So in other words, he passed out. And then he said, And the first I remembered afterward, I was one mile down the canyon, sitting on my load of logs and the oxen going gently along, my overcoat by the side of me and feeling very cold. I looked at the load and found I had the five logs on the sled, three on the bottom and two on the top, nicely bound, my axe sticking in the top log, my whip lying on the load by my side 
my sheepskin with the wool on, which I used to sit on, also on the load, and I was sitting on it. I made an effort to get off the load and put on my overcoat, but found I could not do it, as I was so sore in my legs and breast that it was with great difficulty that I could move at all. And then he continued, I was confined to my house for some days before I could get around again. Who it was that extricated me from under the log, loaded my sled, hitched my oxen to it, and placed me on it, I cannot say, as I do not now or even then at the time remember seeing anyone. And I know for a surety no one was in the canyon that day but myself. Hence, I must give the Lord or my guardian angel credit for saving my life and extricating me from so perilous a situation. End of quote. Doesn't that make you think? I've heard from so many of you about stories of angels and unseen hands working on your behalf and those of members of your family from the other side of the veil. The more I listen and study the history of individuals like you, the more convinced I am we are not alone. We work in the presence of family members on the other side of the veil. We work together. And I'll come back and talk more about that later. Another story from Mariner Wood Merrill. He was serving as a bishop in Richmond, Utah, when he was called as the first president of the Logan Temple. The voice of the Lord had whispered to President John Taylor that Bishop Merrill of the Richmond Ward was to preside over the temple. Consequently, Brother Merrill was called and set apart in 1884 as president of the Logan Temple. President Merrill was then called to serve later in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in October 1889. So in addition to being a successful farmer and businessman, Elder Merrill was active in community service and had a large and devoted family, eight wives and 46 children. In other words, we're talking about a very busy man with great responsibility who depended heavily on others and especially his children. Now, among those that he depended on a great deal to help him with all of his various affairs was his oldest son, Mariner Jr., who managed much of his father's business interests. Well, Mariner Jr. became very ill in December 1889. I read it in Mariner Sr.'s journal. For two weeks, the young man declined until December 31st, 1889, Mariner Wood Merrill Jr. passed away. He was 42 years old and left behind a young family. Understandably, this affected his father very deeply, and he reportedly, quote, complained bitterly to the Lord why the son he needed most was taken from him. Until one day, Brother Merrill said, when Mariner W. Merrill Jr. appeared to his father in his father's apartment on the second story of the Logan Temple. The young man seemed to be right there in the room with him, though 
his father, couldn't see him. And then Mariner Jr. said to his father, quote, Pa, I am where the Lord wants me to be. I have been called home to preach the gospel to the people you are doing the temple work for. This work is more important than anything I could be doing on earth, and it is not pleasing to the Lord for you to grieve as you were doing over my death. End of quote. President Merrill had never given thought to preaching the gospel to the dead, and when he knew where his son was and what he was doing, he never grieved nor complained again in his life. It was a testimony to Brother Merrill that the Lord knew what he needed to be doing and selected the best man to do it. End of quote. I read a statement from Elder Neil M. Maxwell, which I can impart paraphrase. Every time there is a release in mortality of a righteous, faithful man or woman, there is a calling anew on the other side to labor in the great work of teaching the gospel and bringing souls unto Christ in the spirit world. And Elder Maxwell went on to say, There will come a day when those so bereaved at the loss of a loved one, will be thanked by those for whom their loved ones did the work. In other words, as Elder Maxwell said, there may be seven billion people on this earth on this side, but there's 10 times that many on the other side of the veil. And the church over there is huge and they need our help. Continuing on. I talked about this young man last week. Here's another story from his life. Brigham Frederick Grant, affectionately known as B.F. Grant, was born October 17, 1856, in Salt Lake City. When he was just six weeks old, his father, Jedediah M. Grant of the First Presidency, passed away having worn out his life in the Great Reformation and the Lord's service. And then when B.F. was only two years old, his mother married out of the church and left the area. The child was sent first to live with his grandmother. She couldn't take care of him. So eventually, B.F. Grant was sent to live with a family in Richmond, Utah. I told you that story last week and talked about how he came into the association of Bishop Merrill. Well, as the boy came of age, B.F. Grant, he became very unhappy where he was, and he made plans to run away. He arranged with the passing wagon boss, a freighter, to catch a wagon train up into the mining camps of Montana. Before anyone could stop him, the boy carried it out and disappeared, leaving behind family, friends, and the faith of his father's. It is reported that B.F. Grant became a very profane man and that he hadn't the slightest interest in the gospel. One day in Montana, B.F. met a freighter from Utah who, upon learning who he was, invited him to come back to Utah. At about the age of 15, B.F. Grant returned and began working 
shoveling coal around Corinne, Utah. He hadn't been there long when he was summoned to the office of President Brigham Young. B.F. recorded the conversation as follows, quote, The next day, I called on President Young at his office, and he happened to be alone. I told him who I was, and he did not merely reach out his hand to shake mine, but he arose from his chair and gave me a father's handshake, which I would assume means he pulled him into a firm embrace. In so doing, he discovered that the calluses on my hands were hard and thick, and he remarked, My boy, what kind of work are you doing? I replied, I'm unloading coal and chopping wood. He then resumed his seat and continued his inquiry regarding my past life and what I had been doing. He remarked, quote, Isn't it pretty heavy work shoveling coal and chopping wood for a boy of your age? End of quote. To which B.F. replied, No, sir. I've been used to hard work all my life. President Young answered, Wouldn't you like to have something easier than your present work? For instance, a position in a store? I replied, I haven't got sense enough to work in a store. President Young said, What do you mean by that? B.F. replied, I can neither read nor write. At that point, B.F. said, I discovered this great and good man's heart was touched by this remark. I saw a tear rolling down his cheek, and he took his handkerchief and wiped them off and said, My boy, come and live with me. I'll give you a home. I will clothe you. I will send you to school, and you can work during the vacation for me. B.F. said, I accepted his kind offer. He became a father to me. He furnished a home. He clothed me and provided an opportunity for me to attend school, and he gave me $5 a week for spending money, which was a very princely allowance in those days of hardship and toil. His own sons would laughingly tell me they thought I was their father's pet. Soon after, B.F. continued, Soon after I went to live with President Young, I was given a team and was doing general work on his farm and performing other duties incident to pioneer life. Many a time, he said, I have passed him on the road with a load of gravel, sand, or other materials, and I don't remember an instant in my life this great man, if he saw me, ever failed to recognize me by waving his hand. I cannot help but think, where in the world could you find another man of his importance and busy life who would condescend to recognize or speak to a boy such as I? President Young's investment in the lad paid off. B.F. Grant went on to become a successful businessman, a farmer, police chief, hospital administrator, and finally general manager of the Deseret News, not to mention a righteous, faithful, contributing priesthood man of God. Such is the power 
of love and kindness. My friends, you can say what you like about President Young and how he has been vilified in history almost as much as the prophet Joseph Smith. But he was a good man, a man of charity, kindness, compassion, and a prophet of God. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.